Good day to your kingdom family. This is Johan Portgieter with John chapter 4 on this fourth day of our lockdown as we are looking up to Jesus Christ. I just want to mention the reason I'm not doing prophetic messages at this time and talking about prophetic timelines and the fulfillment of prophecy and what's busy happening in the world is because there are so many who are doing that already. There are many anointed, well-equipped, um, well-educated people in the world, in the body of Christ that are talking about those things. And I'm listening to them as much as you are. So uh, I just knew that the Holy Spirit said to me that I must talk about our foundational truths and how to get our roots as strong during this time as the body of Christ, as we look to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in every single day that we are in lockdown, as we look to him to take us through this time. In John chapter 4, from the first verse, it says, now, when the Lord knew and learned and became aware that the Pharisees had been told that Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Remember the gospel of John, I said that in, in chapter 1, where there are many contrasts in the same chapters in the Gospel of John. Now, here's one, and it starts right at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus is in a place. There are a lot of converts. There are disciples that are busy following him, and they are baptizing these people. In essence, there's really a revival taking place in this part of the world, and people are flocking to him. The Pharisees get to hear about this, and it says, and Jesus leaves that place. Let me just make this abundantly clear. Jesus did not leave that place of ministry because of fear of the Pharisees. He left that place because he couldn't get grounded and anchored in one place because of his mission that God had given him. So he left this vibrant, buzzing um, ministry at that particular point, And he goes to speak to one woman at the well at Sikar in, uh, in, in Samaria, which is at Jacob's well. So... I want you to see the contrast there. Now, many people today would say, well, this is what's happening. This is a revival. Let's build a church here. Jesus looks at the bigger picture and he goes and he speaks to this woman. Now we know what happens. He gets to the well. He asks her for a drink and she says, listen, there's no dealing between the Jews and Samaritans. So how can you ask me for a drink? In verse 10, we see, and Jesus answered her, if you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who was God's gift here? Jesus himself. And who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with no drawing bucket, and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? Where do you get your living water? I want you to see this. She says, the well is deep. So is Jesus and the water that he gives, because he has an abundance of it. In verse 12, are you greater than, uh, than uh, our ancestor Jacob? Are you superior to him? And the answer, the simple answer is yes. And Jesus then in verse 14, but whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. And Jesus was saying to her, again, a contrast. If you drink that water, the natural water, you're going to thirst again. But the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling continually within him and unto and into for eternal life. That's what it says in the Amplified Bible. So I want to ask you today, is this spring of water still bubbling on the inside of you? Do you still have the excitement of your walk with Jesus? Are you still regulating your life in union with him today? 
Because this is a reality in our lives, guys, that this bubbling water of who Jesus is and the revelation of his person should be a spring bubbling up inside of us every single day. And we know that most of the chapter is taken up with this discourse with this woman. What I want to focus on really strongly is where the subject changes after Jesus talks about her having had five husbands and the guy she's living with now is not her husband. And I want you to also see this. Regardless of her social position, regardless of her fleshly position, because remember six is the number of flesh and she's living in the flesh right now, Jesus still comes and reveals himself to her. There's a lesson for us in that. In verse 21, Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither merely on this mountain or not merely just in Jerusalem. Because she started talking about worship. She brought up the subject of worship. And Jesus uh, at this time just locks into this conversation big time because this is really where this whole thing was going. He says in verse 22, You Samaritans do not even know what you are worshipping. You worship what you do not comprehend or understand. We do know what we are worshipping. We worship what we have knowledge of and understand. For after all, salvation comes from among the Jews. Now, I'm going to elaborate a bit because I want to focus more on this worship thing than the rest of what is said in this chapter. Verse 23, a time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true genuine worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, which is reality. Heaven's reality. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. These will be His worshippers. God is spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus basically repeats in verse 24 what He said in verse 23. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, the Anointed One, and when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. Jesus said to her, I who now speak with you am he. I want you to see how this woman right here, a Samaritan woman, starts operating in the prophetic. And she says, we know and we understand that the Christ, the Messiah is coming and he will explain all things to us. What was she saying? They were waiting for Jesus, who is the truth, who will explain the truth to them of what reality is really is in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus talks to about worship, I want you to see this. Worship is extremely crucial in our day that we are living in right now, especially in these days of lockdown. Guys, I want to say this to you. I'm going to make a couple of statements, maybe that not everybody's going to agree with 100%, but I'm going to ask you just to roll it around in your spirit and think about it. We do not need a worship leader to lead us into the presence of God. We do not need a worship leader to take us into the Holy of Holies. You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, the Spirit who knows the heart of the Father, who can take you into pure worship. But now I want to emphasize this thing about spirit and truth worship. And I'm going to ask the question, and I'm sure you have asked the question already. What is real, true spirit and truth worship? What does it look like? Well, I personally believe it's expressions in worship to revelations of the person of God, Father, through the power and influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. Which means you can only worship God to the extent that you know Him 
by the Spirit. And I want us to pause on that a little bit today to think about it. You can only worship God to the extent that you know Him. And if you do not know the truth about Him, your worship is going to be off. It's only when you worship Him by the Spirit in the truth of who He is in His person, in the revelation of His greatness and majesty and awesomeness and preeminence, when you know Him as Abba Father in who He is in His character, which He reveals to you in worship. When you worship Him, He reveals to you who He is. I want you to know that it's in that that you get to know that you are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. So why is it, and, and again, I'm going to throw this out there today, why is it that so much of our worship today is focused on us? Yeah, I'm going to ask that question. Why is it that so much of our worship is focused on us? And I'm going to explain what I'm saying. Why is it that so many of the worship songs is, Lord, help us, be here for us, I, me, myself, and I in our worship songs, when all of our worship in spirit and truth should be to the greatness of who He is? You see, here's the thing. When you come into the presence of God with spirit and truth worship, which is real worship, which is heaven's worship, which is reality worship, kingdom worship, when you come in with that kind of worship, the true essence of who he is is going to be released to you in your spirit because your, your spirit is your connection with God. It's in that place, that secret place of the Most High, where the colors of his character is refracted in your spirit that you see him for who he really is. And I want to say this, every time you come into the presence of God and you worship in spirit and truth, even in your room, there where you are on your own and you worship him, I want to say this to you. That the deeper your worship is, the more the colors of his character is going to be refracted in your spirit and you're going to see the true light of the glorious king of who he really is. Wow. This is something that we need to think about today. So when Jesus speaks to this woman about the Father is seeking such to worship him. Guys, if the Father is seeking worshipers, I want to ask you, are you a worshiper? You may say to me today, Johan, but I'm a great prayer. You know, I pray a lot. I pray right throughout the day. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you, are you a worshiper? Johan, I serve a lot of people in the body of Christ. I minister to a lot of people. You know, I, I help the poor. I'm going to ask you, are you a worshiper? You see, when you become a worshiper, the Bible says praise stops the enemy and it stills the avenger. If there's one thing, again, that Satan hates, it's worship. And when it's worship in spirit and in truth, he will try to, he will try to um, discourage you to worship. He will try to bring in influences and interruptions when you start worshiping. Mark my words, when you get into a place when you want to start worshiping, Look what happens in the natural arena around you. All of these distractions come in because he hates it when you worship the Father. What happens now after this discourse with this woman, as she goes into town and she tells everybody um, that she comes in contact with, she says, uh, come and meet this man who has told me everything that I've done in my life in verse 29. And she did the same thing in verse 39. And she says, is this not perhaps the Christ, the anointed one? Look how this woman goes in and she goes and she ministers uh, to the people in town. So the people left town to come to Jesus, to come and meet with him. In verse 32, but he assured them, I have food, nourishment to eat of which you know nothing and have no idea. In the meantime, the disciples came back with food. 
<laughs> this is actually, it's quite amazing. The woman comes back with people. The disciples come back with food. Think about that. She comes with people because it's Jesus. They come with natural things, thinking, well, he must be hungry. And he makes this profound statement in verse 34. My food and nourishment is to do the will, the pleasure of him who sent me and to accomplish and completely finish his work. Here's the thing. When you are eating spiritual food from heaven, you will always remain hungry. Now get that what I'm saying. When you eat natural food in this earth, you'll always be full. When you eat supernatural food, spiritual food from heaven, you'll always be hungry because you will never get enough. So in Jesus' ministry, where he was at this particular point in time, he says, I need to do the will of him who sent me. And doing that is like food to me. It is fulfillment. It is nourishment. It is refreshment. Verse 35, do you not say it is still four months until the harvest time comes? Look, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields and see how they are already white for harvest. I want to bring this in and where we are today. What is happening around the world right now, all across the earth, I want to say to you that the harvests are ripe for harvest. Will you be a harvester during this time? Let us bring in the harvest. I said it right at the beginning that I believe that millions of souls are going to be saved during this time. Somebody sent me a picture yesterday of where they're showing not only that the racks are empty from the food that people are buying, but the racks are empty in Christian bookshops where people are buying Bibles because they want to see what is happening in this world. And one of the guys commented on that and he says, why is it that people are now seeking the Lord and now they're looking for Bibles? Why don't they do that in the good times? And I was in good mind nearly to rebuke this brother. I want to tell you why. Let us be gracious during this time. If people are seeking for Jesus and if they are grabbing up the Bibles and reading the Bible, isn't that exactly what we want? Let them find the Lord because the Holy Spirit will lead them to him. Let us be gracious during this time. Now, in verse 39, it says, Now, numerous Samaritans from that town believed and trusted in him because of what the woman said when she declared and testified, he told me everything that I ever did. Look at this. She goes and she evangelizes, so to speak. They come to Jesus, and now a whole bunch of Samaritans are following him. So he didn't just come for the Jews. You can see that although salvation is of them, as he says earlier in the chapter, now the Samaritans are following him. And in verse, verse 44, uh, verse 43 rather, it says, But after these two days, Jesus went on from there into Galilee. And although he himself declared that a prophet has no honor in his own country, however, when he came into Galilee, the Galileans also welcomed him and took him to their hearts eagerly, for they had seen everything that he did in Jerusalem during the feast, for they too had attended the feast. So we have Samaritans. Now we've got Galileans that are busy following Jesus. In verse 48, because now um, um, one of the leaders, one of the, the officials, um, one of his servants comes to Jesus and says that his son is sick and would Jesus heal him. This man saw the miracle probably that Jesus did. And now he comes to Jesus and he says, he says this, you only speak the word and he'll be healed. Now, the faith, obviously, that this man produces at, the, at this particular time is really what Jesus wanted to hear. But Jesus does make the statement, though. He says, unless you see signs and miracles happen, you people never will believe, trust, and have faith at all. I want to ask you today, how, how are you 
in that department? Do you only really trust and believe God when you see signs and miracles? Or are you of the notion from New Testament teachings that signs and wonders follow the preaching of the Word of God? I can say a lot about that now, but our time is running out, so I just want to continue. But I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. The king's officer pleaded with him, Sir, do come down at once before my little child dies. So Jesus answered, Go in peace, your son will live. And the man put his trust in what Jesus said and started home. Are you putting your trust in what Jesus said to you in your personal life? Are you still holding on to prophetic word perhaps that you've received? This is the time to hold on to that and maybe even replay it in your spirit so that you can get the reality of what God has called you to do. So this man now, obviously the servants now go and they find that the son was healed during the time that Jesus spoke those words to say that your son will live. Then the father knew that it was at that very hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He and his entire household believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on Jesus. You need to see this. Samaritans in this chapter came to Jesus. Galileans came to Jesus. And this man and his entire household came to Jesus. Here's the point. Where you are at in your life right now, don't think that the role that you play is insignificant. And also don't believe that perhaps the station that you are at, that it's not good enough for Jesus to come in and transform your life. I want to say to you, each and every single one of us can be a vessel for Almighty God during this time to touch the lives of broken people. And in a shattered world, we can be the light that shines in that world. My prayer for us today is, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus that he left the popularity of ministry to go minister to one woman. And this one woman went and evangelized in the city. And many Samaritans came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank you for that. We thank you that the Galileans came and they became disciples. We thank you that this, this man who, whose son was healed, that his entire household started following Jesus. We thank you that in the book of Acts, it says that we are the ones that will spread the news of Jesus in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Thank you that Samaria was even included there in the great commission that we have to disciple and win this world for Jesus. So, Father, I thank you that today we are in a place of safety and security because of who you are. Thank you that we stand strong today in who Jesus is. Thank you, Jesus, that who you are in us today is a bubbling spring that springs into eternal life. And we thank you that we can experience joy because you are our complete joy. Amen.